We're finishing up today a three-part series called The Illusion That I Have Control. Now, we looked at stuff happens, and we looked at the fact that whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you believe in God or you don't know God from a hole in the ground, stuff happens. I mean, traffic jams, appliances break down, dog gets sick. Stuff happens to everybody. It's, but we said, to the believer, we quoted from Romans 8, God works good. And we looked at two factors of good. He either works good to me or he works good in me. So when you're in a bad mess of a situation, God's working. If you're a believer, he's working good somehow, either to me or in me. Now, I'm like you. I prefer to me a whole lot better. But when it's not going so good, I know he's doing something in me, and usually that's a little painful. And then in our second message, we talked about growth happens. And whether it's physical or spiritual, we don't get to control the growth. Now, we can take vitamins, we can exercise, we can do certain disciplines and protocols that enhance, but we can't, our children don't grow at the same rate, and we can't grow spiritually at the same rate. God does that. He, he says, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Can a leper change his spot? Jesus said, can you add one inch to your height because you worry about it? No. Or a lot of you folks who are short would be taller. No. Or if you're bigger, you'd be thinner. We can't. God has to do that. Now, this weekend, we're going to talk about grace. And we're going to talk about how Jesus comes to save people. But I'm going to do it really, really simple. Sometimes it comes as a surprise because whole lots of folks don't think they need it. I've got my life under control. I can make myself acceptable to God. I can handle it all by myself. You notice the picture on the screen. That's Francis Collins. He's head of the National Institute of Health. He's one of the most brilliant scientists in the world. And he talks about how he got his Ph.D. in science. And after that, he got an M.D. because he wanted to help people. He didn't believe in God. He was a total skeptic. And he had talked to elderly people in the rural south, and they weren't nearly as educated as him, but they had peace he didn't have and an ability to face a crisis or suffering and had hope that he just didn't have. And he said that one of them asked him one day, Dr. Collins, what happens to you after you die? He said he realized he didn't really have a clue. He thought he knew. But he had just dismissed this whole God and faith thing, and he had never really considered it. So he decided to study. That led him to read the Bible and a guy named C.S. Lewis. And he became convinced that there is a God, and that God has revealed himself through his son Jesus, and that he needed God's grace, and God changed his whole life. So we've been learning week by week, I hope, that we think we're in control, we think we're in charge, but most often we aren't. So much of life just happens to us. So this weekend we're talking about the most important thing that can happen to anybody, grace. So I want to talk to you about how grace can happen to you and then give you a chance to be saved. That's what this whole weekend's about. It's, it's rooted in a real important statement in the Bible and it's what St. Paul says here in Ephesians 2. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Not of yourself, not by what you do. It's a gift of God. 
not by works, so nobody can brag. You want to talk about bragging? Go to your local church. Well, I don't. Well, I don't. Well, I never have. Well, I never have. What are you doing, big mouth? I got no reason to claim any inheritance in heaven but by grace. And if you go into heaven, you're going there by one thing alone. It's not your moral behavior. It's not your political affiliation. It's not what you haven't done. It is all about grace, unmerited, undeserved favor from God. Now, on the stage, we've got a bunch of ladders. Did you happen to notice that? Somebody might ask, are we a church of Latter-day Saints? No, 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 no. I, that's a cheap, I know that's a cheap shot, but I had to. So I want to talk about two different ways looked at in our culture to save your life. Pretty much, pretty much just two. One of them is by performance. Paul talks about it as works, what I do. And the other one is the way of grace. And those are the two ways people try to save their life. Now, by the way, we're all trying to save our lives. That word save has become such a cliche that it's lost a lot of its meaning. But in the Bible, it's generally used either to mean to be healed, to be made well, to be delivered, to be rescued. So I need to be healed of my aloneness or my guilt and shame or my regrets or my fear of death or my fear that my life doesn't have any meaning, that there's no purpose to it. And we all need that. And one of the most common ways we try to save our lives is to say, I'm going to prove my existence on this earth by climbing a ladder of success or a ladder of impressing other people. There's this fabulous line from the movie Chariots of Fire. A lot of you have seen it. One of the characters in it is a sprinter. He's driven. He's haunted by his need to be successful. And he talks about going to the Olympics and why it is he lives with such a heavy weight on his shoulders. And this is what he said in the movie. When the gun goes off, I will raise my eyes, look down that track, and I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. And I was remember sitting there in the movie thinking, well, dude, what if you don't win? You know, that is a possibility. And even if you do win the race, that wears off. It always wears off. There's this strange thing that we're all trying to climb these ladders, yet our egos are insatiable monsters. No matter what we do, it doesn't last, right? I mean, Apple's come out now with a couple of phones, and I think mine is probably a tin can with a wax string on it. Now, gee whiz, I've got a, a 7 Plus, and it's already obsolete. I've just got to have the new one. <laughs> 1200 bucks. <laughs> I'll get me a sign out there at North Park. We'll work for iPhone or something. <laughs> uh, you, you know what I'm saying. Well, th then worse, we give our kids little ladders. We give them little ladders and we tell them, okay, baby, now climb higher. Keep doing more. Keep doing more. You've got to talk before you're one. Come on now. Helen, Helen's daughter, I don't care. Helen's daughter. Helen's daughter, she was speaking at one. You've got to do better. Come on now. You've got to get up higher on that ladder, sweetheart. See, keep doing more. You know, she was potty trained at 
four days, you've got to be, you've got to do better. And this goes on all the time. And, and we try to justify ourselves. And we want to make our egos feel real satisfied with our lives. It's kind of interesting. There was research done on the question, do you consider yourself to be a very important person? Well, in 1950, 12% of Americans considered themselves to be important people. If you were just guessing over a cup of coffee, what do you reckon that number would be today in 2018? Just as a quick guess, well, the correct answer is now 80% of us believe we're more important people, and we want our kids to be as well. So we give them little ladders. Climb up that ladder, get good grades, study real hard, get into a real good school, make the team, make mommy and daddy proud. And it just crushes them. In 1966, 19% of all high school students in America had a GPA of A or A minus. I don't think I was in that crowd. Yeah. By, by 2013, it was 63%. Now more than double, up by 150%. But when interviewed, is the happiness of students up 150%? Absolutely not. The kids say in surveys, I feel like a failure. I'm not measuring up, but I can't let anybody see. I'm afraid of being rejected, but I can't let anybody know I'm afraid. I'm so tired, but I can't tell anybody. I feel tired. So we end up putting all this stuff on top of the ladder we're trying to climb. Our successes, or our well-being, or our ego, or our pleasure, or our comfort, or some relationship. We put it way up at the top of the ladder. And whatever I put up there, that's what I devote my life to, and what I became enslaved by whatever I put at the top of the ladder. And that's where all kinds of addictions come from and all kinds of problems come from because I got the wrong stinking thing on top of the ladder. Now, the Bible diagnosis of the human condition is that Rick's real problem is sin. It's not his environment. It's not his education. It's not his mom and dad that were divorced five times. No, no, it's me. It's something inside of me, and it's a word that's lost a lot of its meaning in our day. See, the idea of sin is not that you've broken some rule or you've done something that for some weird reason, some religion said you shouldn't do. Sin, basically, is just putting the wrong thing on top of the ladder. Dr. Tim Keller puts it like this. Sin is taking a good thing, being successful, that's a good thing, a relationship, a pleasure, that's a good thing, and making it the ultimate thing. See, it'll destroy me, yet I become enslaved to it. And one of the problems with sin is that it's not outside of me, it's inside of me, and I'm not even aware of it. It makes me mess stuff up, relationships up, betray my values. I don't even know what it is that's there. See, it's not something outside, it's something inside, and I don't even know it. Have you ever left a zipper undone half a day and nobody told you? You didn't know it? Or your slip is hanging below your dress? And finally, after half the day, you wonder how many people have been laughing or noticing because somebody didn't tell you, but you just didn't know it? Well, well, that's true. See, it's an interesting thought. Our nature was corrupted by Adam. In Adam 
We've all sinned. When Adam sinned, sin was transferred to the whole human race, everybody. Republicans got it, Democrats got it, Tea Party people got it, non-voters got it, everybody got it. White people got it, Hispanic people, African-American people, Asian people, we all got it. It's, it's part of our nature. Here's what David said. David said, I went astray from my mother's womb. When that little sucker popped out, he was already a liar. The, the day you took him home, put him in the bassinet. No, I got up at 2 a.m. He's not wet. He's not hungry. No, he's lying. He just wanted attention. He deceived you. We never had a seminar with our little girls. on. Now, Daddy's going to teach you how to lie and how to fake out Mama and deceive her. It's, it's in the nature. We've had, we've, in our lifetime, we've had lots of Labrador retrievers, and from the time they're little puppies, those little suckers get in the water, those big feet and that tail, and they just go for it. And they want to retrieve stuff. They, they'll pull up your shrubs outside. Bagley used to pull shrubs out of the ground because he wanted to retrieve something. And if I wasn't going to throw him a ball, he's pulling up one of my plants. He, or he'll pull a leg off a chair and gnaw it. But he's going to retrieve. He can't help it. He loves the water. Would dive in the water. Get a ball off the bottom of the pool. It's his nature. See, you're not a duck because you quack. You quack because you're a duck. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. It's your nature. So it's inside. And you can't put medicine on that. See, it, it, something has to change. So it's part of the dynamic of sin that when it happens to me, often I don't know it. In some ways, some stuff I am going to know, and I'll feel kind of bad about it. But in other ways, there's arrogance and pride and greed and self-centeredness and deception that's going on in me, and it's become such a part of me I don't even realize it. The psalmist put it like this, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. See, only God knows. And one of the weird parts about our sin is, I'm really aware of yours, but I'm not so aware I have a problem. Oh, yeah. An old, old story. It's goofy, but I want, it, it illustrates my point. I have this dream. I go to heaven. There are all kinds of hallways through heaven, and the walls all over heaven are filled with clocks. And underneath the clock is the name of a human being on earth. And I asked St. Peter about it, and he says, well, Rick, those are actually sinometers. Everybody has one. Every time you sin, your sinometer gives a little tick. Well, I walk around, and I'm looking for everybody's sinometer. I see Christina Irons over here. I see hers. And about after 30 seconds, it goes tick. And then 20 seconds, tick. I'm kind of surprised. Then there's Nathan Robertson. It's like 10 seconds, tick. Then five seconds, tick. Then I find my wife's sinometer, and it's going tick, 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 tick. And that's kind of disturbing to me. And I see all of you. Everybody's got a sinometer. I find everybody's except mine. I can't find one for me. And I'm really excited. I'm jacked about this. So I go to St. Peter, and I said, Hey, dude, does this mean what I think it means? Does this mean I'm not sinning anymore? He said, are you mad? They keep yours in the office. They're using it for a fan. Uh, it's just terrible. God, God makes this statement in the Old Testament. If the Lord should mark iniquity, who could stand? Nobody. 
Nobody. You remember back when, when Clinton and Monica Lewinsky had the little doo-dee-doo? And, uh, oh, the right and everybody. I'm just picking on everybody here. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I mean, ever pretty soon... Oh, I think it was the guy with Hustler Magazine was given, I don't know, a million dollars to anybody who'd come forward. And then we found out all the major critics also had affairs, also had some children. And it was like, if I'd have been in the Senate or Congress, I ain't saying nothing. Not a word. Not a word. I'm trying to show you, don't get judgmental. Don't, don't go there because there isn't anybody that isn't marked somewhere in your life by this thing called sin. So who can discern their hidden faults? Apparently, only God. See, I can see it in other people, and I don't see it so much in me. So sin is not so much breaking rules. It's missing the mark. It's putting the wrong thing at the top of the ladder. It's climbing the wrong ladder. It's this irreversible, inevitable, unconquerable, indiscernible tendency I have to foul life up. For me, and for other people. So every once in a while, I get a glimpse of it. I was thinking about the time I was in high school, I think ninth grade, uh, in South Carolina. A couple of guys and I went into a discount store. This is back before air conditioning in stores, before electronics, just a, a, a mechanical cashier, and they didn't have electronic stickers or tags. They just had little stick-on. And I took the price tag of a ch cheap baseball peeled it off, and put it on the expensive baseball, and took the expensive one off, and put it on the cheap. I still remember this, folks. And I really, if I could go back, if the store was still there, I'd buy a case of baseballs and tell them I did it. I did. Then I was thinking about a time in high school in California, and I'm on an Air Force base, living on an Air Force base. My father was in the Air Force. And I went out with some guys at 2 a.m. and we robbed popsicles from a locked freezer at night in a swimming pool area. We jacked the whole thing up and got out one case of orange, I even remember the color, orange popsicles. And I remember all night long, man, my conscience was really kicking me and making me feel awful. Now that's been 60 years ago. I still remember it. But I tell you what I bet you don't remember. You don't remember and I don't remember how many other times we lied or cheated or deceived and nobody noticed. Then I think there's this God, this holy, perfect God, and I'm going to have to stand before him and he knows everything. I can't finesse him. And that's the reality of who I am and the reality of who you are. And this is a problem. And one of the human tendencies is to think, I can handle this. I can take care of that. I can make myself acceptable to God. Don't worry about that. And Paul talks about the idea that we're not saved by works. In his day, most people, for their, for their ladders, it was a religious ladder. Even in our day, a lot of people think whether or not they even believe in God, there's good people and bad people. I know I'm one of the good people. Well, how do you know? Oh, I go to church sometimes, Christmas and Easter. I read the Bible sometimes. I give money sometimes. I'm not nearly as bad as Adolf Hitler. <laughs> yeah. We think God grades on a curve, right? I'll compare myself to somebody else who's bad. You know, they're the bad people. I'm doing okay. I'm a little higher on the ladder than they are. I'll be all right. I can handle my life. 
And another thing a lot of people do in our country is to say, well, I'm a good person because I embrace the right ideology. I'm opposed to intolerance. I'm opposed to bigotry and racism. I'm opposed to militarism. I'm opposed to injustice. I'm opposed to corporate greed. But there's lots of bad people who are not. So I'm sure I'm acceptable to God. But it doesn't change the tendency I have to still keep fouling things up. So a lot of people believe that technology is going to save the human race, that we're just going to get smart enough and clever enough and, and have enough apps that there's going to be more and more education, more and more affluence, more and more opportunity. But I'll tell you something weird. Uh, nobody, not even Apple, has invented an app that corrects the human heart from the tendency to foul up, lie, cheat, deceive, and steal. There ain't no app I have ever seen for that. See? Now, into all of this, into this mess, the darkness that's my life and yours, comes Jesus, and he brings grace. And I want to finish by talking about grace. This is not works. This is not saving yourself. This is not being good enough. It's not pretending like there's no sin issue. Grace is not a ladder I climb up. Grace is a ladder Jesus comes down. He said, you can't get to me by anything you do or don't do. I'll come to you. Every religion on earth, it's about a ladder. I've got to do enough. I can't do that. I've got to do more of this. I've got to sell more magazines. I've got to go more often. I have to quit smoking. I have to quit. I, and they keep trying. And then inevitably for all of us, I used to, when I was in the 20s, I'd climb a 50-foot ladder and slide down it. I ain't doing that now. <laughs> I'm older and smarter. I'm not going to slide down, and they have to go all the way back. I didn't make it. I didn't make it. And all of these gods keep saying, come up to me. You have to come up to me. And our God, through Jesus Christ, says, stop the nonsense or stop the insanity. I'll come down to you. I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself, what you could never do for yourself. I'll do your part for you so you can be with me. That's the basic difference in Christianity, really. He says, now the offer of being forgiven of all your sin and being given a new nature and a new start and having a purpose in life and hope beyond death comes to you as a free gift. Nothing you can do to earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't be good enough. And Jesus would tell all kinds of story about this. One of them is found a number of places in the Bible, and this is an account of it from a book by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace. I read it several years ago, and I'd, I'd like to read to you what he writes. One of Jesus' stories about grace made it into three different gospels in slightly different versions. My favorite version, though, appeared in another source, the Boston Globe, in June 1990, encountered a most unusual wedding banquet. Accompanied by her fiance, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel, downtown Boston, and ordered the meal for the wedding. The two of them poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, pointed to pictures or the flower arrangements they liked, and they both had expensive taste, and the bill came to $13,000. That's 1990. That'd be about forty grand today. After leaving a check for half the amount as a down payment, the couple went home to flip through the book of wedding announcements. Well, the day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the groom got cold feet. I'm just not sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this for a little longer. 
Well, his angry fiance returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet. The events manager could not have been more understanding. The same thing happened to me, sweetheart, she said, and she told the story of her own broken engagement. Oh, about the refund, she said, I got bad news. The contract is binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back. But you have two options, forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the banquet. I'm so sorry. I really am. Well, she said it seemed like a crazy idea, but the more she thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, just a great big blowout. Ten years before, the same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had gotten back on her feet, gotten a good job, set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. So June 1990, the Hyatt Hotel, downtown Boston, had a party the likes it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. Spineless, gutless wonder. And she sent invitations to rescue missions in homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off cardboard dined on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens, all who were propped up on crutches or aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off the hard life on the sidewalk outside and sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late in the night. Well, Jesus would tell stories like that. He said, the kingdom of God is like a great banquet, and people who haven't earned it, who haven't climbed the ladder, are all going to be there. Why? Just because of unmerited, undeserved, unfavored grace. You cannot, by all your achievements or all of your good works, however you compare yourself with anybody, you'll never be able to justify your own existence but you don't have to, thank God. You can have grace. Paul put it like this. It is God who justifies. So who is it who condemns? Not one. See, we're told the primary vehicle, the primary expression of the grace of God through Jesus comes to us, not when we climb a ladder, but when Jesus goes to a cross. People wonder about that sometimes and think, what's the cross thing about, Rick? Well, let me talk about two dynamics of it that you might just think about. There's the horizontal beam, and there's the vertical beam of a cross, right? The vertical reminds me I have a relationship with God, and one of the things the Bible says is that because I'm a sinner, I'm a cheater, I'm a liar, I'm a gossip, I have a debt with God because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It just leads to death. Now, if I went to a funeral home and I looked at three bodies and the funeral director said, now this guy's been dead three months, this guy's been dead three days, this guy's been dead three hours, which one is the deadest? You'd say, well that's stupid, they're all dead. So whether you commit one sin or six trillion, I'm a sinner. That's it, unless you're perfect, I know. Some men are married to, uh, I, I shouldn't go there. I'm not going to go there. You see, I'm, 
I'm saved. I'm, I have a new nature inside, but that old one is just itching to get out, but I'm not going to do it. I was at Starbucks some, some time ago, and I had a coffee in the morning, and I went to pay for it. Have you ever done that? And I realized, I've come off and left my wallet. And I said to the person behind the counter, ma'am, I am so sorry. I have forgotten my wallet. I promise I'm good for it. I'll go get it, or I'll just leave the coffee here. They said, no, 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 it's okay. You don't even have to pay for this one. It's on the house. Isn't that a wonderful expression? It's on the house. That's kind of what Jesus says to you. Hey, you don't have to pay. It's on the house. I've already paid the bill. See, it didn't mean it was free. It was free to me, but somebody had to pay for it. Starbucks had to pay for it, and they, uh, they had to pay for the beans and the labor. Starbucks was going to do it for no reason at all. They didn't get anything out of it at all except this wonderful promotional story I'm telling thousands of people this weekend. Other than that, they didn't get anything out of it at all. And every once in a while, when the spotlight shines on us, when we get caught, we recognize what's in us. So what does your sinometer look like? How often do you think that baby's ticking? A psychologist named William Backus cites one study. It says the average American practices deceit in one way or another 200 times a day. That's just one dimension of sin. And the reality is it's a lot worse than that because sin's not just particularly things I do. It's also things I don't do. How am I going to stand before a holy and perfect righteous God? Gee, see, that vertical beam on the cross means I owe a debt I cannot pay, but Jesus paid the debt he did not owe. He paid it, and he took my place. You know, the churches are still filled with people climbing ladders, climbing ladders, so proud of what they don't do. And I remember a great story. Jesus is in the temple. All the religious leaders, the Pharisees are there. Thank you, Lord. I've never committed adultery. Thank you, Lord. Never been drunk. Thank you, Lord. I tithe. I teach a class. I've never missed. I watch all the podcasts. I catch the YouTube. Woo. I go to all the seminars. I've even registered for Chosen. Woo. <laughs> and over here, this old tax collector with all the prostitutes and pimps hanging around who's extorting people falls to his knees beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus, looking to contrast the two, says, that guy, yeah, that guy over there, he went home justified. This religious crowd, they're still on the ladder. They still think by doing this and doing that and not doing this and not doing that, that will earn them acceptance by their own works in heaven. I can control it. He says, well, they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. So God wants to get you off this ladder and understand what he's done for you. See, he paid that price that I owe. It says that the Father laid on Jesus, you want to read Isaiah 53, the iniquity of us all. So there came a day when somebody took my place who was sinless, who kept the law, who had never sinned, and he died in my place. And I deserve hell. I deserve to be judged. I deserve penalty and uh, prosecution. And Jesus stood in my place while I got to stand aside. And the Father satisfied his wrath with his Son. And God isn't mad at anybody right now because Jesus took the sin of the world and was judged for it. Now, 
while you have air in your lungs and can breathe and can think, you can come to him, Jesus, and receive forgiveness, mercy, eternal life, sonship with God. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll give you a hope and a future. I want to do you good, not evil. This is the God we serve, not a God who's looking to, I'll get you. You know, Jesus on the cross, his last words were not, I'll get you when I come back. (laughs) Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. So he paid the debt. I can't pay it. And I, I owed it to God. So he paid my bill for me. Incredible. That's called grace. And then there's the horizontal beam. And you can think of that just like the arms of Jesus and his love for you on the cross. And there you see the ultimate expression of God's love for the human race. The stories we love more than any other are stories about sacrificial love where somebody loves another person enough to suffer for them or even die for them. We can't get enough of those stories. A long, long time ago, when our girls were real little, we were on a long car ride, and one of our daughters was in the back seat. I think she was six. And she asked me to tell her a story. And I used to make up stories to tell the kids. And this is the only one I can still remember. It was a story about a prince and his horse. The prince was brave, and he was handsome, and he was quite proud and very arrogant. The horse, the horse was fabulous. The horse was humble, faithful, and loyal, and served that prince, and loved that prince way more than that prince deserved. Mm -hmm. The prince, he never really valued the horse. His whole life long, that horse just lived for the prince. Well, they were in a battle one time, and the prince is down on foot, and he's engaged in a sword fight. Somebody shot an arrow at him, and the horse realized that arrow is going to hit the prince, and the prince is going to die. So the horse leaped in front of the prince, and the horse took the arrow in the heart, and the horse fell to the ground. All of a sudden, the prince realized his horse was the best friend he ever had that he didn't deserve, and he started crying, but it was too late, and the horse died. (laughs) And my daughter's sobbing in the back seat of the car. (laughs) And, And Cindy says to me, Really? Really? The horse has to die? This is going to mean years of therapy. Do you understand that? So Jesus put it like this a long time ago. You think about Jesus saying these words and you think about you and your life. Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friend. Jesus said that. I don't know if you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan. Tom Hanks becomes this Christ feature who dies for a private who he doesn't know, who has never merited this that's about to happen to him. Well, that's the cross. He, Jesus, paid a debt I can't pay. He died a death I deserve to die. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, everybody in this room and everybody listening online or watching on live stream We're saved by grace through faith, not church membership, not your moral behavior. By the way, those are good things, but those things won't save me. They cannot do it. They didn't die for me. Have you put your faith in the Son of God? Not in a church or denomination or christening or baptism. Those things have a place, but they don't take you to heaven. Have you received God's grace through His Son, Jesus? That's the ultimate question for everybody in this room. Receiving grace is different than receiving honors. We live in a culture where everybody is trying to climb up here and win an honor. 
You know, at commencement time, if you look at a book of graduates, there's going to be certain names that have a little asterisk next to them, and it will mean they graduated with honors, cum laude. I was talking to a guy in here not long ago. He said he had a really bad life. He had dropped out, got addicted, messed everything up, messed up his marriage. Then he met Jesus here. He got saved, and he was healed of his addiction. His marriage got made well and restored. He got hope. He had purpose. And he said, the only school I went to was the school of hard knocks. That's the only school I went to, and I didn't graduate cum laude or magna cum laude or summa cum laude. I graduated, thank you, laude. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's going to heaven cum laude or summa cum laude. Just thank you, Lord. And this whole series comes down to this question. That's why we're here as a church, just to help people meet Jesus, to be delivered to be rescued from this tendency I have within me to foul things up, to betray my most important values that have separated me from God. And I have to tell you, the Bible is super clear on this. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You can't climb high enough. You can't compare yourself to enough other people. You can't give enough. You cannot attend church enough. But you can humble yourself and ask God. And so my question now is, are you willing to say, I'm willing to get off the ladder of whatever it is I've been trying to climb? I'm going to say no to whatever idol that I put on top of that ladder. I'm going to come to the cross and acknowledge, confess my sin, and ask God through Jesus to forgive me, to become my Savior, to become the leader of my life, my friend, to deliver me from a fear of death, and give me hope of life with God forever when I leave this earth. That's grace. And grace happens, and it can happen to you right now. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.